0: Watchin' DVDs in Oakland, in Oakland Now I'm driving up the five and you wait till I arrive In Oakland, in Oakland Oakland. Everything that I wanted, only gotta drive for the moment If you tell me turn around then I'm on it, for the moment But you know me, you know how I get when I'm lonely I think about you in the moments But everything you do is so Oakland, so Oakland Foot on the gas I'm just trying to pass all the red lights And the stop signs I'm ready to go Before I get to the baby that's a problem Cause I'm way too scared to call And you might give me a stay night I don't old. really want to drive But
1: I think I'd probably die it's- saw me in, oakland, in And if I married tonight, it will probably start a ride.
2: Welcome to the Eastern Shore, I'm Brock Winstead. Today on the show, telling jokes about very serious things, choosing work that doesn't make you want to yell at your kids, and what happens when you're asked to leave a restaurant. Comedian W. Kamau Bell is probably best known for his television show Totally Biased. It ran from August 2012 to November 2013, first on FX, then moving to sibling network FXX. Bell and his team on Totally Biased offered comedic takes on current events in the news, interviewed other comics, actors, writers, and so on, and did person-on-the-street segments, the kinds of things you could find on a lot of other shows. What made Totally Biased special was Bell's voice and his emphasis, as in a lot of his other comedy work, on race and racism and discrimination of other kinds in American culture. It was funny, but it was serious, too, and it was smart. And it was canceled too soon. It's not like Bell went away with the show, of course. He kept doing stand-up and traveling to colleges all over the country with his one-man show, The W. Kamal Bell Curve, ending racism in about an hour. He's also been making podcasts like Denzel Washington is the Greatest Actor of All Time, Period. Yes, that is the name of the podcast. In all of these venues, Bell has continued to have funny but also serious and smart conversations about race and racism, and increasingly intersectionality, the way that different systems of discrimination and oppression overlap and reinforce one another. Earlier this year, Bell found himself in something of a teachable moment, after an incident at a cafe in Berkeley where he and his family live. He had been standing outside talking to his wife, who is white, and several of their friends, when he was shooed away by the staff. His offense appears to have been something along the lines of standing while black. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, keep listening, because W. Kamal Bell and I talked about the Elmwood Cafe incident, and what happened after, and what is still happening as a result. We also talked about his upcoming return to television, what else he's up to in comedy, And a local event coming up later this month. He's putting on a kind of live talk show in Berkeley that will also be broadcast on public radio station KALW 91.7. Oh, and I want to thank KALW for, in a roundabout way, making this interview possible. I'll explain that at the end of the show. But now, here's W. Kamal Bell on the Eastern Shore. W. Kamal Bell. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me. It's a pleasure to sit down with you. Uh, thanks. It's a, pleasure to, it's a pleasure to be sat down with. <laughs> I want to talk about the work that you're doing. You seem to have a lot of projects in the hopper right now. As I was preparing for this interview, it seemed like every time I turned around, I was finding another thing
3: <laughs> that you were doing. I got two kids, man. You know, they won't feed themselves yet. So I <laughs> got to gotta make sure that I'm doing my best to yeah. make sure they feed,
2: they eat. So I've talked to people for this show who are working locally. They're running a restaurant or a nonprofit or they're putting on a regional event. And I've talked to some people whose work is national in scope who, who happen to be here in the Bay Area, in the East Bay in particular. But you're really you're doing both. Mm-hmm. You had a television show, Totally Biased, started in, I think, August 2012 on FX, later moved to FXX.
3: Yes, sir. That's and all was, true.
2: That was canceled in November 2013, in a lot of people's opinions, unjustly, prematurely yeah. canceled. Yeah. But you are headed back to television. You've yeah. got a new show called The United Shades of America Yes. coming to CNN in early 2016. Yeah, well, I don't. I don't even know the exact. Date, okay, date well, I, so it's January. It's definitely it's January or
3: February. I don't feel so bad that I couldn't find. No, no, no. Yeah, they people ask me like, and I don't know. Like yeah. <laughs> people, so yeah. Hey, it's CNN. It's a. It's it's still primarily a news network. So. They don't really have the same push to get the schedule the same way, like, you know, like, you know, the way that net, traditional networks do. And they only have a, like a few hours a week that they call prime time broadcasting. And also a plane could get something. <laughs> so there's just a lot of like,
2: there's a lot of forces around how it all goes down. You've described it as a race and culture travel show. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Uh,
3: That instead of sampling food, like happens on most travel shows, I sample uh, race and culture. So, like, it's just, I mean, there's food, but it's never, it's rarely the kind of food, like, you know, the, the analog is Bourdain that every travel show sort of gets compared to. It's never me on a beach drinking a beer talking about these homemade tacos that were just made for me. Uh, yeah, so it's just the idea that traveling places that, you know, sort of the elevator pitch is places either a black guy shouldn't go or you wouldn't expect him to go. And I'm not allowed to, because they've told me to not talk about specific episodes, but we've taped the whole show already. Oh. And and there's a wide range of, like, places that you're like, huh, I can't, that's interesting. And oh, my God. <laughs> like, so there's just, you know, so there's a wide range of, of, of places in the eight episodes we've done it's all in the states it's all over the states mm-hmm. it's uh, but it's also not even about which states we went to just different communities so yeah. like you know there's there's just a lot of different and different spends on different communities but I certainly put myself in positions that were vulnerable either emotionally or sometimes physically and, yeah. but not in a like we're gonna skydive sky but just in a place where it's like oh this is probably not you know and to me that's the but using humor to work your way it's still a comedy show it's uh-huh. just funny. It's just funny in a way. I like to be funny where you get to be
2: smart and funny in equal measure. Was this an idea that you brought to CNN? You pitched this to them and said, "I want to do this." It's interesting. I this is I've had this idea ever since I was
3: watching Bourdain's shows. Like I've always thought like I would like a travel show before totally biased. I was like <laughs> that's the kind of show I'd like to have. Uh, I've always liked that. It's funny that these people are sort of all on CNN now, but I've always been a Morgan Spurlock fan. Oh, yeah. I, I used to like Dirty Jobs. Yeah. Just I like that sort of like, let's, what's going on here? And I thought, oh, that'd be fun to sort of talk to people. The skills I learned on Totally Bias have made me better able to do it and also gave me a higher profile. But this was an idea. It started off sort of a different idea. It was the idea of like, I would only go, I think it was like only go to white places. And I was like, how about... More than just white places. Uh, so it's like, you know, it's collaborative, but it was pitched to CNN by a separate production company. CNN liked the idea. CNN knew that I was available. It was mm-hmm. a fancy way of saying my show had been canceled. <laughs> and they uh, thought, oh, he would be good. So when I went to meet with CNN, after my show was canceled, I had like meetings with lots of different, not lots, but I had meetings with different people who were interested in maybe using my services. And CNN was one of those places, and so in that meeting, or before that meeting, they brought this idea up, and I liked the idea, but we had to shoot a pilot first, so it was very different than Totally Biased, in that Totally Biased, FX basically bought it sight unseen, like we had made a little independent thing Chris Rocket puts money into, but they didn't make us go through a piloting process with them, whereas this was the traditional, like, make a pilot, we look at it for a couple months, we decide, and so it was definitely a bet. Yeah, there were other ideas I could. There were other projects I could have taken on that would have been more like I make the I make a certain amount of money for a year. A sure thing. Uh, yeah, or at least a more. Cons- it's funny to say conservative. A more conservative, like I'm. A fa- I got a family, so maybe I should have done that. But this was like, I'm always sort of trying to balance between like, you know, being a responsible family member, but also not taking jobs that make me want to. um uh, come home angry and yell at my kids. I <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> just feel like you know. There's, so that's sometimes,
2: probably healthy.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, that's how I was raised. My mom was like in the same position. Like you know, she was uh, when I was in high school. She started her own publishing company out of her house, out of our house, and that was not the smartest financial decision, but it certainly made her better. I mean, she she paid the bills and we paid the rent on time and we were never late. and da, 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 Had a car, but it, there were certain she could have. She was an accomplished person. She could have had better jobs and easier jobs. Yeah. So I think in that sense, that's where I come from. Like you have to make decisions that are, you don't make dumb financial decisions, but you also have to make healthy decisions. Hmm.
2: So I know that you uh, did a segment—this uh, has already been online and on air—a uh, segment for CNN at the Iowa State Fair, yeah, which, of course, yeah, yeah. is a big target for presidential campaigns, and that was sort of the focus of this. Yeah. Was that kind of a sneak preview? I mean, there, there will be segments in the show that have that feeling to it of me just sort
3: of running around and talking to people. Yeah. But if we had done the Iowa State Fair, I would have been like, like the woman I talked to about her— her uh, her sheep. I would have gone home with her and met her family, and like, I just really, it have, it would have been. Keep pulling that thread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep see where that thread can take you, or like I would have really dug dug deep in the whole. That's the idea. Sort of a little more of like a comedian journalist kind of thing.
2: Are you doing other things with CNN in that vein? More of these uh, segments and places that are not officially a part of your show. Yeah,
3: there will be other things that will be. Yeah, they, they want us Yeah, there will be other segments like that that I do leading up to the show. And also other things with CNN uh, to leading up to the show, so...
2: CNN's a huge... It's a machine. It's a huge yeah, it's, network. It's, I mean,
3: it's not only CNN, it's Turner Network yeah. Broadcasting. It's like a multi... I went to the what they call the upfronts, where they sell their thing to the advertisers, and they sort of, put, they sort of bundled all their networks into one. So it's like CNN, TBS, TNT, the Cartoon Network, True TV, there's a whole range of, a galaxy. Yeah, there's a whole galaxy, yeah. So CNN is a big part of it, because is a big network, but... You know, on some level, it's also TNT probably generates more money than seen And, you know, like just, just by showing reruns of Con Air, you know, uh, and having the NBA contract and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, so it's, it's just, yeah, it's corporate America.
2: Was this your first time having to kind of fit yourself and what you do into a machine that size? No, FX was very much,
3: like, FX is a part of Fox, and that's, that's a whole thing. But anytime you're, this is what I've learned over the last few years, if you're making television, you're making, you're, it is a machine, as much as I may want some things to be about my feelings, it's also like, well, we taped today at 4.30. <laughs> <laughs> so if like, you could get your feelings decided so and here's add, a add jokes to your feelings, then we can get out there. But <laughs> right. it's an inefficient way to make art, So <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, which doesn't mean you can't make art on television. But generally, the, the best art on TV comes from, uh, like, like, Breaking Bad is a great example. That's Vince Gilligan's show. Everybody who works in that show is working through Vince Gilligan. Nobody comes in there and goes, you know, Vince... I like how you're doing it but I don't think that person gets fired (laughs) unless they present a point that he goes oh that's a good point but you can't come in there and you know The Daily Show is a great example that show was just a TV show Jon Stewart turned it into art but even he talked about how the first two and a half the first two and a half years of The Daily Show he really had to like fight to get it into his voice And, you know, not many people get two and a half years to do that. Yeah. You know, I feel like, and when I heard that, I was like, oh, because was I wasn't totally biased. It, it wasn't an existing show like The Daily Show was, but it was still like we were building it up and it felt like I was still sort of, as we got canceled, I was still fighting to get it into the place I wanted it to be in.
2: You said a few minutes ago that, that certainly Totally Biased gave you a higher profile and that made it easier to go have meetings with people like CNN or networks like CNN. But you also said there were some skills that you got out of that mm-hmm. that helped. Propel you into the next show? Skills like what? You know, one is about like who, what all the jobs
3: are. Like, I went into FX not knowing what an associate producer was versus a producer versus a segment producer versus a field producer. So,
2: there's a vocabulary. Yeah, there's
3: the whole so you know who to ask for. <laughs> like, so you know, we need one of those, uh, a, uh, the, a story editor. The one who does oh, the yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. You know, and what an editor does versus what a, what a post editor does. And, you know, it's like there's a whole, like, there's a vocabulary that if I, I feel like doing. Totally biased. I basically got like an associate's degree in TV production. Like not a bachelor's, like, <laughs> but an associate's degree. I still right. need a little more. So I know all the skit. I know all the verbs and all, all the verbs, all the terminology. All the technology. Yeah, yeah. the techn- and then the other part is like I hadn't done a lot of man on the street stuff until I did. Oh, totally biased. So I got to go out there. The first day I went out there, I was scared. Uh, can I say shitless? I was you say what yeah, you want. yeah, I was totally like, oh, how does this work? And and I look at that clip and I can tell that I was a guy who was like, how do I ask tough questions? I didn't want people, I hate Man on the Street segments generally because usually they're making fun of the people's stupidity yeah. or trapping them into doing something where you just are making me look stupid. But I'm not really stupid. You're creating an environment through which I look stupid. Right. But, I, you know, and so, and there's, that's what most of Man on the Street stuff is, is sort of creating, making fun of people. And I hate that. I like it's my least favorite sort of humor when it's like you're if you're making a target out of somebody who is just living their life. Like you know what I mean? Like I always felt like the difference between like punked and most like prank stuff is that punked is making fun of people who are already in the public space. So a little bit like well that's what you get. And it's also produced by a celebrity, so he sort of knows the what he can and can't do. And it's also but like. If you're just like yelling at strangers who <laughs> are trying to live their lives, I just feel like, you know, no. it, it always really, it bothered me. So I, the first thing I did, we, the first thing we did on Totally Bias was this piece. The first Man on Street piece was about the, the stop and frisk policy in New York, mm-hmm. which is a huge, controversial, fraught thing we did it in Harlem. And I was like, these people are going to think I'm making fun of stop and frisk. Mm-hmm. But over the course of shooting that, I became clear, like, oh, there's a way that I can do this. And then once they edited it and I looked at it, it's funny, once I saw them editing it, I go, oh, I know what I can do next time. And then by the time you get to, like, a piece we did, like, anything to say to a white guy, which is me and this guy Ethan Berlin, who also works on United Shades of America, going out together and talking to people about race relations, it's just we were totally in the zone. And not that it's, it didn't go, it's whatever, there's, didn't get a drillion views, but I I can watch that over and over again and go, these are, we know how to do this. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. So you just had to, uh, to kind of have that first dip in the pool yeah. just to learn how to swim. Just to learn how to have a conversation with somebody who didn't know they were going to
3: talk to you five minutes before you stopped them on the street. <laughs> <So> like, <laughs> just to learn how to sort of my, uh, calm people down, get to a thing, tease it out, have a back and forth, let them be funny, which is always better anyway. And then also how to be funny, make fun out of a situation without making fun necessarily always of a situation. A lot, of, a lot of times you get pressure to do do the thing that that other person did. And it's like, I just don't want to do it that way. And if my way doesn't work on TV...
2: Then I won't work on TV. <laughs> Thankfully, there's other ways to... Right. And so yeah. we'll get to see your way, uh, starting in early 16 yeah. with the United Shades of America. And again,
3: not, it's not entirely my way, but it's a, it's a more... Because it's still like, you know, that show, if we, get, if we go to the second season, it'll be more my way. And then the third, you know, you just sort of like... And also, I've learned some stuff from working on this show. And it doesn't mean that it always has to be my way, but it does shows... Entertainment in general works better when it's coming from a unified voice. Whether it's one person's voice, literally, like, or or a team of people who are unif- pulling in one direction, I mean, with the Daily Show premiering soon, we're gonna, they, there's probably gonna be some bumps along the road where it's like. Who's, who's, who's in charge of this? Yeah, is it I'm sure. The, is it the existing producers and people who are? Is it Trevor Noah? Are they coming together? Are they want you to do some of the John stuff? I'm just, it's going to be, yeah. you know, Stephen Colbert's new show, the first night that people were like, yeah, it was good, but it was kind of a mess. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a mess. It totally. It, yeah. But I believe CBS is certainly going to give him the opportunity to, to smooth it out because yeah. why wouldn't they?
2: Yeah, Right. You've already made the, the first season of United States of America. You are also still traveling around the country nationally doing stand-up shows you're going to austin next week and then yeah. dc well doing stand-up and also doing
3: my solo show the colleges i usually do my solo show which yeah. is the w Kamal bell curve ending racism in about an hour
2: that solo show you've been doing that for for several years now has it changed over the oh, time yeah. you've been doing it the, the the show is always written to be topical mm-hmm.
3: uh topical either personally or topical in the world so topical about my life or topical about the world so if you saw it in 2007 when you, when it first opened, there's not one stitch of thing that's the same to now. Like, there's not, like... Now, if you saw it three years ago, there may be some... Just cause there's just because there's things that I've also created that go, this is pretty timeless. Yeah. But we're talking about half, maybe half the show is that way now, and the other half is, like, like I just started doing the show. I did the show the last time I did it. It was last spring at colleges, and then I, did it, I just did it again at Chico State, which is, like, the first show of the new... And I, and I looked at it, I was like, man, I have to really gut a lot of this now because there was just, there was no presidential politics in it. I was mm-hmm. like, I got to talk about Trump and immigration. I got to, yeah. like, you know, there was no Black Lives Matter stuff in it when I did it last year just because I was still, you know, you're still, you're sort of still figuring out what you want right. to say. So there's just, like, I had to, and then stuff that I loved, I had to, like, well, we got to toss this aside because yeah. it, otherwise it's ending racism in about three hours. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so there's just, there's, I did a pretty big Overhaul and also it becomes about my life too. Like when the show first started, it was about how my how is dating a white woman, and then it becomes about how I'm engaged. So if you and then they go married, we're thinking about having a kid, she's pregnant, we had a kid, we're having a second kid, we got two. So it's like even on that level, the show keeps sort of moving along because my life changes and it's about my life.
2: On the stand up side, are you um, working toward a new special or an album? There, I am working toward a new special. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I can't, it's funny.
3: I'm pretty sure that I'm going to tape a special in December of this year, my Ah. first comedy special. Uh, it's just like everything. You just sort of go until everybody says it's in place, but right. yeah. Uh, on a cable network, that's what I'll say. <laughs> uh-huh, okay. I, Some people might say this stuff. I feel like I'm always like, I don't want to say it until it's actually all in stone. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so I'm going to be, it looks like if everything happens, I just talked to my agent this morning, that I'll be taping a special in early December. My first proper stand-up comedy special. I've had a couple CDs. One was independent yeah. and then one with Rooftop and and this will be the first proper comedy special, which oh. I'm pretty excited about. But also, it's a lot of work to get ready for. It. Oh, I
2: bet. Yeah. Um, and in addition to all this, you're still doing your podcast with Kevin Avery. Yeah. Denzel the- Washington is the greatest actor of all time, period. Yes. You do this every week, almost.
3: We, we released an episode. We've only missed one week, which I feel bad about, but we just got caught up in didn't realize the studios would be closed on Labor Day uh, oh. so we have missed one week but we will yeah mostly it's, it's been every week except for one
2: so this is through through Earwolf uh, again national audience really more than a national audience whoever, the internet is everywhere yeah no we have our one of our we have two fans
3: who help us put the podcast together one who runs our Twitter and one who runs a website that we they created on their own and we sort of said like, well then you're a part of it uh, and this is the, the, Denzelitz the Denzelitz website yeah the Denzelitz.com is run by a dude who lives in St. Petersburg Russia <laughs> And we didn't know that until we had an episode. Where we were like, we should call these two people who are number one <laughs> yeah. fans. And he was like, and they were like, and when they were setting up the call, they're like, oh, he can't use the phone. Why? Because he's calling from Russia. What? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, we were just like, I was like, what do you mean? Call the oh, way right? to find that out.
2: Yeah. So it's it's totally international in that respect. Yeah. I mean, it's about Denzel Washington and Denzel Washington movies, but it gives you a way into a lot of other kinds of conversations and you bring other people onto the show. And some of the threads running through all of this work that you're doing, you're, you're almost constantly having a conversation about race and racism and, in American culture. I mean, that thread is there. You're just kind of coming at it in different ways. Do you feel like you have a choice? Like, that's, that seems to be the thing that drives you. I mean, I uh, don't I feel, feel like, like I have a choice,
3: but I, I don't see that in any sort of, like, like any sort of like I have a calling but I don't feel like I have a choice in the, but in the same way that Jerry Seinfeld doesn't have a choice to talk about nothing. <laughs> like, I yeah. feel like everybody every comic sort of picks the stuff that they feel the most charged by yeah. and they also pick the stuff that they, and they also settle on the stuff that they feel like they can their, their comedy chops work the best with. Yeah. So for me, it's I grew up in a race and racism home, <laughs> so it just I didn't. When I started doing comedy, I was doing comedy about lots of stuff, but then that sort of became a thing that kept coming back to me. So for at this point, I mean, I'd like to say at this point, it's also become more about intersectional politics too. Like just so like when like the like on the podcast, we talk a lot about race stuff, but there's also. You know, there's also we talk about uh, working black actresses like, you know, mm. that's which to me it's, it's race, but it's also about women in Hollywood. Yeah. And then in my stand up act, I'm really always like working to make sure that like like there's a piece of my act now where I talk about talking to my oldest daughter, Sammy, about uh, Caitlyn Jenner. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's like because these are things I'm thinking about anyway. So for me, it's, it's race is sort of the core of it, but it's also just, you know oppression and culture. Yeah. yeah, I don't want to yeah, it's certainly it's a lot about like the conversation about race, but for me the thing that happened when I moved to the Bay Area is I started having a lot more oppression conversations that weren't just about race. When did you move to the Bay Area? 97. Okay. From From Chicago. This is home now. I mean, you, you Oh, yeah, 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 yes, yes. I mean, I was born in Palo Alto, I just didn't grow up out here. Uh-huh. But yeah, this is absolutely
2: Yeah, this is home. Yeah. Uh, well, it, here in this place that it feels like home and is home to you and clearly has influenced the kind of work that you're doing, the kind of conversations you're having, uh, you are also doing work locally that's about having those same kind of conversations. Mm-hmm. You, are, you, you have public notoriety, you are famous in some way, but you got a little bit of, a, of an extra spotlight on you earlier this year when on your birthday... You got hassled at the Elmwood Cafe. And you've written about this and talked about this in other places. It's been covered in local and national press. And so I don't want to rehash the entire story. But if someone's hearing this who uh, missed it when it happened, can you give the capsule version? Sure. I mean, whenever I think about
3: this I was like people say, are you done with talking about it? Like, whatever my feeling first of all, my feelings constantly evolve about it. And I think about it. It's The Elmwood Cafe story comes up in my brain often enough. And I also know that, like... 9% of the world has no 99.9%. So I I always know that every time I tell it somebody's like, "What?" So I'll tell it now. Certainly, uh we wrote a, me and my wife co-wrote a blog on my website about it. The thing about the blog is interesting. It had just happened. So you can yeah. really read it from the perspective of two people who are going through a thing that just happened. So whereas i talk about now, it's going to sound it's going to sound different cuz it's been months. It's it happened in January, now it's uh, almost October. Yeah. Uh but I just before I came here, I just had a meeting about a, a race of meeting about community events and race and racism, and we and basically that comes out of that event comes yeah. out of that, so I'm still doing the work around that uh basically the capsule version is uh there's a cafe in uh in the Elwood district of Berkeley, which is a very gentrified boutiques and fancy coffee shop section of Berkeley that me and my wife my wife was there having lunch with a bunch of moms from her mom's group. So it was like it was like four white women and there are four white babies. Although one of the babies later, I realized, is half Asian, but nobody knew. <laughs> I didn't know that day and the baby didn't represent. Wait a minute. wasn't so, holding up a sign. Yeah, to the to the outside. This is a lot about being an invisible minority, too. Mm. There's four white women and four white babies. And my wife was sitting they were sitting at the ca- tables outside. And me and my wife had talked earlier. We'd actually had breakfast at the Elmwood Cafe earlier that day. Uh, and I went to go do work at Cafe Roma down the street. And then I was on my way back. She's like, we're, I'm still here. I went back for lunch. And I was like, man, you love that place. She loves the Elmwood Cafe. <laughs> she loved the Elmwood Cafe. But so I went back and they were sitting outside. And my wife waves me over and I walk over. And I'm talking to them for a couple minutes. And within a couple minutes, there's a knocking on the window, like a rap, 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 rap. Uh, and I look up and it's somebody who works at the cafe basically looking at me like, And nodding her head as if to say "get out of here," like sort of like it's hard to do in a podcast. But looking at me in a way to go get out of here, like clearly mad, shakes her head to the side in the way that when you want to tell somebody to scram is what she said. Which and I had a moment like and I knew what she meant. Was talking to me. It was because she was looking at me, and I had this moment like what just happened. Mm -hmm. And my wife looks at me, can tell that something just happened, and she guy goes, she thought that somebody was she thought it was somebody like it's my comedian, come out my fan because that people recognize me on the bear, but she could see my face. It wasn't. I stood there for a couple of seconds thinking I should leave just cuz but then also my wife and my 13 week old baby are there and also I kind of wanted to see how it played out. Yeah. Another woman came later I found out another woman came out. I thought it was the same woman who sort of came outside to sort of shoo me along. Uh, and this has all been documented, so yeah. anybody who's listening is like, is that what happened? It's all been documented, and the cafe has admitted to its part in it. Right, the facts are not in dispute. Yeah, the facts are not in dispute. Uh, the interpretation of the facts are always in dispute with some people. But she came out to sort of push me along, at that point realized that I was standing there. And I think at some point, I don't remember how the conversation started against my blog. She basically, at some point, says, I'm sorry, I thought you were selling something. And I was like, this is my wife, that's my baby, we ate here earlier today. I'm sorry, and she said, I'm sorry, we thought you were selling something. And sort of said, like, Oh, I'm sorry, we thought you were so and then sort of moved along. And at that point you're standing there like As if it, as if it's over. Yeah. Uh and so at that point me and my wife my wife got the baby, we got our stuff, we're gonna leave. We she could tells she confronts the woman who came outside and was like, That's this is bullshit, da da da. And the, and the, at that point the waitress said, I don't think it had to I don't think it was racism. And so it's just like and it's a white woman and it's just like that's as I've said many times, white people, it's not your job to determine when something is racism. It's just not, it's just not your job. You can have opinions, but you can't have the "I have decided." <laughs> the Supreme Court of what is and isn't racism is not going to should not be peopled by white people. Uh, so my wife sort of said, "Bullshit, it is racism. We deal with it every day." And then we got in our car, went home. Uh, there was tears, and then I s- uploaded a picture of myself to the Elma Cafe's Facebook page, which was not a very well populated page. I could tell that they weren't. But I was like, "You, you guys may want to Google me," which is what I said. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, "You kind of did this to the, yeah." I mean, you know, there's a people who, you could have done it to President Obama; it would have been even worse. But in the Bay Area, like I'm a guy who's known to talk about this stuff. So, uh, and then uh, they didn't respond. And again, their Facebook page looks like they just every six months put a picture of sure. a muffin on it, yeah. so it's not. But then two days later, me and my wife posted a blog on my Facebook page, and it went, it was the first time I've ever been accused of going viral, uh-huh. but uh, whatever that means, but and it became like a local news story. Like, you know, I got to hear my name pronounced several different ways on local news reports. <laughs> right. And it became a thing where it was just, you know, for the next two weeks of my life, we were dealing with it. And it, it ended up, we had an event at Willard Middle School with the cafe owner and lots of academics and smart people to talk about it.
2: What were the goals of having that community conversation?
3: The reason why me and my wife wrote the blog initially and the reason why we had such a strong reaction to it is racism does happen to people of color every day just like you know if you're if you're a transgender person then you're dealing with with transphobia, and if you're a person of color who's transgender, then you're dealing with both. here <laughs> you're, you know, everybody who is uh, an oppressed, who sort of outwardly shows their oppressed group status, wears it on their shoulder, like whether through color or through sexuality or gender. Whenever you're outside the norm, you deal with oppression every day, either all throughout the day or at various points in the day. And sometimes it becomes so notable you feel like you have to do something. And I felt like if this is happening to me, and I don't mean me. As a famous person, I just mean me as a person who was just, there was nothing about the way I looked that should say, this guy looks dangerous, or we should kick this guy out of here. I was just a person. as like, that it's happening to lots of people. Because I was not, there was nothing I did that should have alerted anybody to anything. So, which to me is like, oh, then you just don't want black people here. (laughs) Like, you just don't want, you know. And somebody said, well, what if they, maybe they thought you were homeless. Well, first of all, it's the Bay Area. Homeless people are allowed to be, you know, that's a part of the culture here. Let people live. that doesn't make it not racism either so it's to me it was like creating a place to go to sort of talk about our story but then also get it out like this is what happens in the Bay Area also to highlight the fact the Bay Area specifically Berkeley is supposed to be this hyper liberal super progressive so liberal it's ridiculous and if it's happening here then it's happening everywhere but it's gotta stop here Mm. like you know we can there's times where racism has happened to me in places where I was like, oh, I'm going to let this slide. Because you just go, what am I going to complain about? <laughs> you know, like, you know. But it felt like in the Bay Area, we moved back here. We chose to make this our home. Right. We chose to return home. I can't let it slide. And also, I can't let it, because I don't want other people to think. I would have hated if we had let it slide, and somehow that story had come out from some other way. Yeah. And then people thought that I wasn't living to my principles. Mm. Like, to me, it felt like I have to walk it like I talk it. So whether I wanted to or not, I had to make something out of it.
2: And there was talk at the time, uh, back in March, when you did the community forum, about keeping the conversation alive mm-hmm. and setting up an implicit bias training initiative. Yeah. Where did that go? These are all good questions. It's funny. I just had a meeting about this this morning. So that night of the,
3: of the event, Michael Pierce, the owner of the Elma Cafe, announced it as if it was our thing in implicit bias. He said, we, a lot. And it was not... He had told me he was going to do it. But the night of the event, I think, and you know... This is the first time I've talked about it this way. He said "we" a lot, and I was just like, hmm. "No, you you own the business." I said, "If you need my help, then ask for my then tell me what you need, and I'll do what I can." But that's not my program.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So that night, I wanted to keep. He kept saying "we," me and Kamau. And, and I, it was, and I, and I was like, well, and so I, believe me, I checked in with him several times about like, what's happening with that since we're doing you know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> And to quote, I think it's a, a famous street joke. What do you mean we white man? Exactly. <laughs> I think it's with the Lone Ranger and Tonto. That's right. <laughs> we're in trouble. What do you mean we white man? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he said, we, so I checked in with him and. Uh, you know uh, we 're i mean i 'm trying to be as nice about this as i can we 're both busy people he owns a cafe he also doesn 't work at the cafe often apparently he 's got he 's often in the field doing other social justice work is what he says but at this point i can 't tell you what 's going on with his implicit bias training and this is months later and having said that, I also know that. People aren't really going to beat down his door to find nobody. I, I doubt people are asking him in the same way they're asking me what's going on. And so it's my responsibility to pick up the ball. So this morning I had a meeting with Charity Demarto, who helped us put together the Willard uh, community event. And she was, I, I didn't know her before that, but I sort of went down on my activist circles and found her. And she was really the coordinator of that event. And we've been in touch. We started getting in touch about a couple months ago about like, I had told her I hadn't heard from Michael. I really was trying to do some investigative work, like to see what he, where he was at. Like, does, has anybody heard from him? Does anybody know what's going on? Because I was trying. I'm trying not to assume the worst, and that's probably why I do comedy. I think if I assumed the worst, I would just be a full on uh, activist. <laughs> comedy is a way to sort of like not assume the worst all the time, or huh. at least to sort of investigate what if you should or shouldn't. So I reached out to her, and then she was like, yeah, it's not... like I mean, she said she had talked to him and said he's working on it, but there's nothing we can... He's not showing us anything or willing to show anything. He goes, look at what we've created. Uh, So we, amongst ourselves, and with some of the people who helped to put together the Willard thing, are going to start doing community conversations on race. More like the Willard events? Yeah, but in a more regular, smaller format. So not... Like, that was really a panel, and we want conversations. Uh So where the community where we can solicit stories and ideas and... And, uh, and uh, speakers from the community, to because it's a community conversation that needs to happen. It can't always be ex-talk show host. <laughs> and it also can't always be about my story. I can't go tell the story of the NWO yeah, Cafe yeah. every time. So it's about really getting other people in the Bay Area a voice and a place to go. Uh, to have community conversations, we're probably going to have them in coffee shops initially because you know uh, karma mm-hmm. and yeah. So, but we just met this morning and we just started to put some, figure out some dates. So that'll be that's the next thing I'm working on that you probably didn't Google when you found out about it because I feel a responsibility. I live, me and my wife live in the Bay Area. We're going to keep our family in the Bay Area. We want the Bay Area to be a safe space for our family and everybody's family, and we also want to hold the we want to hold the, the Bay Area, specifically Berkeley, accountable to the reputation it has nationally. Yeah. But that's, and also, and here's the funny thing about this is that I don't necessarily even, because I was looking for dates on the calendar that we could do these community conversations, I don't really have the time to do this. And I'm not saying that in any sort of like, I, you're lucky. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like- You're booked. I'm booked. <laughs> and every free space, I'd like to be home with my family. Yeah. But this is about my family. Yeah. It's about all our families.
2: So. Well, speaking of your family, one of the places that you talked about this story and community forum- was on This American Life. You yeah. contributed a segment, a story for an episode that aired in May. Uh, and that story was really about fatherhood mm-hmm. and parenting. You talked to Khadija Means, a young woman from here in Berkeley who is very involved in social justice and anti-racism, activism. Mm-hmm. And you talked to her father, Cliff Means, because you wanted to find out you know, where did this remarkable young woman come from. Yeah. And you clearly had a lot of regard for Cliff Means. Yeah, yeah. It seems like you wound up seeing him... As an example of fatherhood, specifically black fatherhood in America, not that you don't have the example of your own fatherhood, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. the way that Cliff Means talked about engaging with race and teaching children about race and racism seemed to really affect you. Mm-hmm. What did you learn from him? Well, I think, and just to be clear about that, like you said, and I appreciate you
3: bringing my dad into it, uh, you need a lot of examples especially as a parent, because there's a lot, because you're not going to be, you're not going to duplicate anybody's parenting because that's not going to work. But I really felt like there's, the way that Khadijah is in the world I want to make sure that my daughter has some of that, so like whether she she doesn't have to end up being Khadija Means, and so it is curious. And you know, my parents. I think I'm a pretty good person, and you know, working on it. But there's there's something about being a black woman mm. that I don't have access to because I'm not a black woman. That I felt. How does how do how do, how do I have two black women in my house? <laughs> you know, uh, that I'm raising. Yeah, uh, just your beca- two daughters. Just, just to be clear, yeah, my daughters. Otherwise, it sounds weird. Who are uh,
2: four, four and-,
3: and eleven months? Okay, yeah. four. One's four, one's eleven months, and so. You know, and but they're also mixed, so that's a different, that's another level of identity, and we will, and that's something else we'll talk about. But I also know that, like, the world is going to see, like, especially Sammy, she's at the age where like, she's black, people Mm -hmm. know she's black, and her Mm -hmm. color has settled in a place where it's like, no, it's a black kid. Mm -hmm. Uh, Juno at this point, we'll see, it's like all, it's all a DNA crapshoot. Uh, but they will still have the identity being black and mixed race in this country because of the one drop rule. So, like, I was really curious about where does that come from? And Khadijah also has all the strength, but also all the good humor and lightness that I think is also helpful when you're dealing with oppression. Like, if you get too caught up in the anger, then it, you, you know, not that that's not effective, but it also is, like, then you're just, you're a heavy person. Yeah, Yeah. so meeting her dad was, a, it's great to have that example of a way to do it. And also, there's a big piece of that for me, it was, like, people like Khadijah's dad often think I'm basically full of shit because I'm a comedian like oh you're talking about race and rape but you and so and you know don't see me as being a really a part they
2: think you see it all as a punchline
3: yeah 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 yeah. yeah. or they think or they also because I'm married to a white woman somehow I'm Mm -hmm. not keeping it as real as I could be and so to talk to a guy who felt as real as that dude was and who didn't seem to have who also didn't exclude me from the conversation And was very open in a way that, you know, clearly didn't know what he was getting into. It's funny to go, this American life is so huge. Not if you've never heard of it before. (laughs) And so, but yeah, so that he did it for his daughter. And that's a big thing, too. Like, if my daughter wants me to do this, I'll do this. I'll give it a shot. And so, uh, which I am with my daughters, too. Like, all right. All right, Sammy. Yeah, let's do that. The thing he said at the end of the piece, which is the part, because you talked, we talked for like an hour. So that we could have just released an hour-long conversation yeah. with Cliff Means. The part that I was really committed to getting in the piece was the part at the end where he said, because uh, this is the middle of Black Lives Matter, having protests here in, in the Bay Area, right down the street from our house, like the whole idea of like, am I doing the wrong thing by focusing on this stupid thing at this cafe? So the part that I really f- advocated for to get in the piece that wasn't in the first draft of the piece was the part where I said, does it what do you think about me sort of, pushing against the softest part of racism, bad service at cafe. And he was like, man, I don't let anything go. And for me, that was like, thank you. We can go now. (laughs) Because Sometimes you feel, you know, there's an expression, get in where you fit in. I feel like sometimes you feel like I should only go out for the big marches or I should only, or I don't want to look like I'm complaining. And you know, this is, you know, this, this, this oppression thing happens at all levels. And you can't, I, I feel like part of my job is to remind white people that like, it ain't all cops killing black people just because you're not a cop killing a black person doesn't mean you don't that you're not experiencing the benefits of racism or that you're not participating in the oppression of racism so you know and but doesn't mean you're the worst person but you need to be able to own up to the fact that like yeah I have done things that, in the same way as a man I have had, had, had when I got to the bay area sexism was the, one of the big talks some of my friends had with me about like just cuz you don't say the worst things doesn't mean you're the best <laughs> so <laughs> I feel that same way about racism just cuz you're not the just cuz you're not the head of the clan doesn't mean you're not
2: causing some problems yeah so these community conversations you're putting together uh here in in the bay area is that the direction you're taking uh kind of trying to get at what racism can be and what it looks like it's not just cops killing black kids I mean I think we want to yeah the, the the breadth I would say that, and also this is
3: true of a lot of you know people in the Bay Area let's put a lot of white people that because they we sort of a lot of us move out here to have a curated life hmm. Like, I wanna get away from my hometown that was filled with oppression and dumbness and ignorance and and bad food. <laughs> and I wanna to go to where every morning I'll go to this coffee shop, then I'll go to that yoga class, then I'll go to that lunch spot and I'll get a job at that nonprofit, and then at the end at the end of the day I'll go to that, you know, whatever. And so you have this really curated life and you sort of walk down the street feeling like you've graduated into awesomeness. Hmm. And then not realizing that all around you are people suffering and feeling oppression. And some of that oppression is because when you moved into the neighborhood, their rent went up or they got kicked out of there. And to me, it's just about reminding everybody that we all live in the Bay Area together. And you can't act like this is the best place on the earth if you're not aware. And it may be the best place on the earth because <laughs> the earth has some pretty <laughs> shitty places. But you, can't, you have to accept the problems and the challenges out here. While also thinking it's the best place on earth. So you have to, and so this is to me, it's about crossing streams mm. in the way that Ghostbusters says you shouldn't. shouldn't. Shouldn't do, yeah. Yeah, never. Which I, I think sometimes you shouldn't cross the streams, but I, I think you should only cross streams if you're, a lot of times we're crossing streams online, like on Twitter. Uh huh. Well, fuck you. Well then, fuck you. Well, you're the worst. Well, you're the worst. Like that's not helpful. So let's get in the room where people are are sort of aren't as likely to hide behind their invectives and avatars. And or, yeah, their eggs. So yeah, to me, it's about. That's why the, um, the Willard thing. Probably, probably ninety percent of the people in that room the night of the um, of the of the Willard thing vote for the right people, support the right causes. Sure. But that doesn't mean that they're being friendly to the old black lady who lives at the end of the block. Yeah. You know, so to me, it's like, it's all of it. It's all of it. And it doesn't mean that they don't, that they don't just pay lip service to uh, togetherness, that they're not actually participating in, like, making society more, making everybody have a more equitable life.
2: Yeah. you are doing something else locally that I'm intrigued by. Uh, Kamal. right now. Yes. And this, is a show, this is a show you're putting together with KALW, the San Francisco-based public radio station. Yes, sir. You are describing it as a live radio talk show. So so you're doing this on October 29th at the Freight and Salvage right here in downtown Berkeley. Yeah. KALW is broadcasting it live. Live, yes. So what is it? <laughs> it's, for people who liked Totally Biased,
3: it's my sort of retake on a... Uh, a show where I get people together and we talk about the issues, and we're still booking the guests, but it'll be it will be a uh, uh, a live conversation with, and it could be it might be people in the audience, will be people on stage, we'll book some guests, we'll have some pre taped pieces, but it's the idea of like still wanting to scratch that itch that I got on Totally Biased of like what what's going on now, like right now, if we were to do the show right now, we would have to talk about uh, so this Pope thing. Hmm. Is the Pope good? <laughs> Should I be excited? I'm not a Catholic. I feel like he's getting a lot of press. Like there's just things every week. There's a discussion that I feel like I have with people online, or I have with friends that I feel like that I feel like is not the discussion that is being had out in the world. Like it's being had on a low level online. Uh-huh. But it's not being had. Like I, last night, I was watching all of, like pretty much uniformly every. News channel that I watch is like, yay, the Pope. Even the ones where I'm like, are you sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I just feel like there's a discussion to be had every week. There's a discussion about like, you know, uh, you know, there's also discussion this week to be had about the Emmys and Viola Davis and diversity and how a woman on the uh, woman who works for General Hospital flipped out about that. There's all these discussions about cultural, political things that we're not having, and I would like to get the people who I have those discussions with offline, friends of mine, and also people that I don't see often enough. Let's have that discussion in front of people. And let's like figure. Let's have a different version of that discussion. Not the snarky online version. Not the quote-unquote panels that happen on TV where people are just trying to get their talking points across. Let's actually have the discussion live. Is this going to be a one-time thing? You know, it's a, it's only a one-time thing now because we are just trying to figure out what it is. Uh-huh. So believe me, I I very I'm a big fan of public radio. I'm a big fan of podcasting. I'm a big fan of. Uh, I'm interested in scratching that itch that's in me. It also gives me an opportunity to do all the topical jokes I write every week that I don't get a chance to say on stage. So, like, you know, I, the reason why I went with KLW, not that I went with, but the reason why I was interested, like, the Matt Martin, who's the program director, when I was still on Totally Bias, is was like, if you ever want to do anything in the public radio space, let me know. So he had reached out to me. Matt Martin is basically responsible for shepherding 99% Invisible into the world. Like, he helped Roman Mars get that started. 99% Invisible is one of my favorite podcasts. So I just feel like you're a good guy to be around. You know how to, you sort of know how to do things. He respects my work. We're sort of, so I would, you know, believe me, I would love it if it became a a, a part of the regular rotation of things I do. But we just have to see. Yeah, we just, it's just like, you know, this is, we're sort of like, let's do this once and see what happens. This is an opportunity to think of art before commerce, because public radio is a place to do that. Whereas if this was a television talk show, Mm -hmm. you have to start thinking about commerce from the very beginning almost.
2: It's Comedy and real conversation. Yeah, well, for me, real conversations
3: are where the best comedy come from. So it's, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a live talk show. <laughs> there just, will like be, just like it says in the tin. Just like it says in the tin. But it's just, if you like, it's sort of like, if you like the things that I do, then this is more of the things that I, this is, and especially that totally biased, like uh, the conversations that we got into that show on the man on the street and also some of the interviews where it's like, you get to, I, I like the things where the audience is learning with me. Like, I'm like, Oh, tell me about, Oh, okay. Like, you know, so
2: it's like, uh, things that sort of push you to be 1% smarter, mm-hmm. you know? That again is October 29th. That's a Thursday night at 7 p.m. That's at the Freight, Freight and Salvage here in Berkeley. You can get tickets on your website, wkamalbell.com, or yeah. at thefreight.org. Yes. If people want to rush out right now whenever they hear these words and go get tickets. Yeah, no, it's
3: going, to, it's going to be a lot of fun, and we're still figuring out what all the pieces are. But it's a certainly, there's a, there's a model for sort of talk shows based on sort of panels that I see on TV all the time, and I'm like, but you I've been on those shows. And it's so, even in its unscriptedness, it's so scripted. Mm. And I just want and public radio is a space where you can hear people have conversations. And so I just want to have, the conversations I want to have are just generally, I want to have funny ones, when I'm, no matter what the subject is. Yeah. So it's just creating a space where you can have a real, like the kind of conversation you have with your friends at a party. <laughs> like, like where you're like, you know, people are being
2: respectful, but they're also letting it fly. Yeah, right. Well, but if it's going to be broadcast Live on radio, yeah. yeah, that's gonna put some interesting boundaries around things.
3: That you know, I mean, I don't think you have to. First of all, I don't think you have to swear to make things interesting. So I don't think that's. But I do think that like Matt is once he's the one who wanted to broadcast it live oh, okay. as it aired. I was like, we tape it on Wednesday and we air it on Thursday. No, no, no. He wants it to. Matt is really interested in the. You gotta listen now while it's happening because he's Ah, he's from the radio background. So listen now. We've talked about I I think we'll podcast it, but I don't know. Right? You know, he wants it to be a thing where everybody's huddled around the radio at the same time, and we're all tweeting together, and we're all talking together, and we're all sort of sharing the things, and maybe that stuff affects the event. So if somebody sends some tweet out, we're like, this person just said this. We should, you know, that it will actually help. It'll it'll stoke the fire. Yeah. And for me, that's the way I work best when I feel like it's like, let's see what happens. The best. The best shows I ever have in stand up is when I go on stage and go, let's see what happens, instead of like with some sort of agenda of like, I know I'm gonna kill or I know mm. I'm gonna eat it. You know, so, <laughs> yeah. I would love to break, I would love to have a day job in public radio. <laughs> like that's, I mean, that's, the, that's what this is about. If this ends up, I'm gonna be very clear about that. If this yeah. becomes a once a week thing and it fits into my schedule, then I've mission accomplished. It's a lot of fun talking into microphones. Yeah, it is a lot of fun talking into microphones, and it's a lot of fun talking into microphones when you haven't have a sort of a roadmap but you don't know exactly how you're gonna what to say how you are gonna get
2: there so you are in show business broadly speaking yeah that's what it says on my uh, tax forms yeah. <laughs> and you you travel but you you live here in the bay area um, i know you were in new york when totally biased was in production but you moved back here when it ended would it make your life easier if you lived in new york or la no, it'd make
3: my career easier. It'd make my life harder. Ah. If I lived in L.A., I would be, have access to go to more meetings, and I would be probably going out to the comedy spots and circulating and meeting and meeting the new up and coming comedians, and also establishing myself with the current comedians, and also getting ties with the older comedians. And so there'd be a career benefit, certainly. But you know, when we were in New York, the hard part is we felt alone and isolated from our family and friends. Like we made friends there, we had friends there, but just New York was a hard city. Your friend, your, your, your good friend that you like, lives in Queens, or something. Like, it's just like, well, I guess I, I live in Manhattan, so see you at the holidays, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. It's, whereas in the Bay Area, my wife's from Monterey. Yesterday, or yeah, two days ago, my wife's sister had a baby. She lives in Sacramento. My wife took the, my daughter off from school. They went to Sacramento, met the baby. Her parents are coming up today to see they're going to pick my daughter up from school. It's just like a whole... Uh, You've got a network of support. I've got a network of support. And then I lived here since 97, so I have friends I've known for a long time now. And, you know, I, I can go to coffee with and people who know me as a comedian but also know me as a person. And so it's just a much easier. It's a much, my life, our lives are better. And at some point, and you have to make a choice. And I, it's not the smart choice for my career to live here, but it's a smart choice for my life. And it's like we talked about at the beginning like, you know, you have to make decisions that are good for your life. Like, I, I, in my, what I've learned from my mom is you have to make decisions that are, make sure that you don't put yourself in a position where you're a crazy person for money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, you know, my dad sure. would, dis- my dad would might disagree about that. Mm-hmm. He was like, you can be crazy for like five or 10 years. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but for me, it's like, I can't, I know the kind of person I am. And I know the kind of person I was in New York when we were working on Totally Bias. And that was a great opportunity. But there were times where I was a crazy person. Mm-hmm. And luckily, my daughter is young enough. She doesn't really remember it. But I would hate to be, me and my daughter are friends. Yeah. And a lot of the reasons we're friends is because I'm not a crazy person. Right. <laughs> so like, and, and me and my mom are friends and, and because she's not a crazy person. So, uh, I, that's the, I'm trying to replicate that so that, you know, that when I come, when I, when my daughter sees me, she's like, yay, as opposed to like, oh, here's that crazy dude who, yeah. who always hands me something shiny because he wants me to love him. Yeah. <laughs> you know? so, so I just, this is the same as love. Yeah, yeah. So it's just, it's very, it's very important to me that like, and I, when I walk around the Bay Area and people, I mean, I'm known to need. York and I'm known in other cities, but people here have an investment in me because they know I came from here and I started here and they remember me at the punchline on Sunday nights and remember me from an, an art gallery in Oakland that's closed now or whatever. Like they, so the, the love I get here is nourishing in a way that in other places they're like, Oh, you're the guy from the thing. Oh, I like it, you know, but here there's like a real, it sort of feeds me in a different way it makes me, and also makes me feel like then I have a right to stand up for with myself here. And I feel like people will get my back and I'll get their back.
2: Well, I am certainly glad you're here. I think the Bay Area is a better place for your presence and the work that you do. W. Kamau Bell, thank you for taking some time out of that work to talk to me. Well, thanks
3: for having me. I'm glad to uh, look at this Twitter work. I was just shitting on Twitter, but look at what it did.
2: This is the Eastern Shore on BFF.fm, Best Frequencies Forever. I'm Brock Winstead, and that was W. Kamal Bell. I recorded that interview with him earlier this year, uh, early October, I think it was. Uh, so that Kamal Right Now thing that he mentioned, that's already happened. Don't go looking for that. You know what? I should probably recut that interview. I can't pretend that's evergreen. Uh, Kamau's new show on CNN The United Shades of America Is coming out at a still unspecified date In early 2016 In the meantime You can see what else he's up to On his website WKamauBell.com That's W-K-A-M-A-U bellcom There's a calendar there Shows his future shows You can find out where you can see him do stand-up Or his one-man show I don't know if he's taped that special that he talked about yet. Look, we're not friends. He doesn't tell me things. I don't know what's going on in his life. But you should, we all should, keep an eye out for that special. Another thing you should keep an eye out for is new episodes of this show, The Eastern Shore. You can find those on internet at tespodcast.com. I've done 42 interviews. You can find them all there. You can Subscribe to the show via RSS feed or good old iTunes or Stitcher. Links to all that right there at tespodcast.com and of course you know because you're doing it right now that you can hear this show on Tuesday afternoons at 2pm right here on bff.fm This has been the Eastern Shore. I have been And, even when my voice is weird from illness and shouting, I continue to be Brock Winstead. Thank you for listening. I've got a little bit of time left here today, so we're going to play some music. First up, you're going to hear Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys, a song called Pacific Ocean Blues, from his only solo album, Pacific Ocean Blue. And then, Nico Case, covering Bob Dylan's Buckets of Rain. But first... An important announcement about the nature of this medium.
1: Hey, mister!
0: I don't mean to be telling tales out of school, but there's a fella in
3: there who'll pay you $10 if you sing into his can. I'm not here to make a record, you jump cracker. They broadcast me out on the radio. We ain't one at a time in here. We're mass communicating. Oh, yes. That's a powerful new force. Mm-hmm.
0: Strong and so I'm taking you with me Honey baby when I go I do it for you, honey baby, can't you tell
2: This has been the Eastern Shore. I'm Brock Winstead. You're listening to Best Frequencies Forever, BFF.FM. Coming up right now is San Francisco People with Frank Garza. Here's that. Thank you for listening. We'll do it again next week. BFF.FM. BFF.fm. I'm, not I'm not crazy. crazy. My mother had me tested. my story on San Francisco People.